You're listening to a Dwell Community Church production. If you'd like to check out more resources, visit dwellcc.org. About six weeks ago, we were in chapter two. We were talking about the beating heart of a great church is the living gospel. The gospel being not just the message, but the way that it's lived out, the hope that it provides, that a great community, a great example of Christ's church has the gospel of Jesus Christ at the heart of it. The fact that we are sinners, that we have problems, that none of us here are perfect, but that God has provided forgiveness and love and compassion and mercy by coming and dwelling among us in the person of Jesus Christ and going and dying on a cross and taking the punishment that we deserve upon himself. That that is the basis for what a Christian is, and what a Christian community is supposed to be about. And then in three, Paul gets really personal. He has been with these guys. He has shared the message. And then he's moved on in order to plant another church in another city. And he's thinking about them, and he loves them, and he's connected with them. And I don't know about you, but I always think of Paul as kind of like a type A, very tough, very hard-driving, hard-working. I mean, he would have been a nice guy, but he would have been intense, right? And you read what he writes to the people in Thessalonica in chapter 3 of this book, and it's a little embarrassing. It's just a little like you're, you feel like you're spying in, you're a peeping Tom through the window of this intimate relationship that he has with these guys. And it's it's rather remarkable. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through what he wrote to them and pick out six aspects or five aspects of godly relating that we can, principles that we can draw and apply to our own lives. He starts at the end of chapter two in verse 17. He says, dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, We tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. And what we see here is the beginning of a framework for how mature Christian love is supposed to look in the context of a relationship. It's a strange dichotomy where we're deeply engaged with one another, but we're willing to let one another go. Paul had work to do He had a mission to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if he created a holy huddle in Thessalonica, it would kill what was so great about that ministry and about those relationships. I think all of us would say, you know, when it comes to holding on or letting go and love relationships, we've experienced unhealthy dynamics. We've maybe participated in unhealthy dynamics. There's different extremes. There is such a thing as being over-dependent, over-needy, clingy, and refusing to let anyone else into a relationship and holding on. I heard a story from my home church this week where uh, someone went home uh, for the holidays and they walked in the house and their mom came up and gave them a big hug It said, honey, I've got COVID and you're going to quarantine with me. That's a little over dependent. That's a little diabolical. And this is what can happen to us when we draw too much need from a personal relationship. 
We're not thinking about what's best for the other. We're not thinking about what's most important. We're just thinking about what we want. And if we get into relationships where our attitude is, is we can never part, then we're going to be sidelined for the important work that God has for us. This is why we plant home churches, why we have groups and we encourage small group participation and love and connection and in-person relating and we spend time together. We go to home church, we go to men's Bible studies, we go to prayer meetings, we come here and we spend time together outside of those meetings. Building, 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 being real, connecting, talking about real things. And then if the group is successful and joyful, it attracts more people, and pretty soon there's too many people to fit in a house. And so that group divides in half, says goodbye to half the group so that they can make room for others, just like Paul leaving Thessalonica and going to Athens to preach the gospel. But when he looks back at Thessalonica, what does he do? He says, I miss you so much. He doesn't harden his heart and say, those guys weren't that cool anyway. (laughs) He's like, they're a little uh, weird, those Thessalonians. He says, I think about you every day. I pray for you. I long to see you. I can't wait to get back. The opposite extreme, of course, would be failure to attach right? Where you're just saying, uh, you know, these people are here for a certain time and we have a certain purpose. We have a mission and it's all about the mission and closeness doesn't matter. I'm not going to let people get so close to me that I'm going to miss them, that it's going to hurt me if they're gone. And some of us hold people at a distance. We say things like, well, we can appreciate each other better from afar. And yet what we see here is with God and God's way, We do not hold up barriers. We do not hold each other at arm's length. But we do not desperately need each other and take from each other and demand from each other. How many have had that dynamic demonstrated in their families of origin? It's an incredibly elusive but wonderful picture of how it is that we're supposed to be connected with one another. Deeply engaged, but willing to let go. This mature love is desiring to be together, but it's prioritizing the things of God. It's saying we are here, and the reason we're here is to love God and love one another. But the whole reason we're here is not to selfishly take and just build a bunker that we hold everyone else out, but it's to move out into the world and and offer that love and that community and that quality of relationship to everyone. That's why often Paul would talk about we're in a battle, we're in a spiritual war. A soldier leaves the comfort of his family and his home and everything that's important and goes out into harsh conditions and has puts themselves under terrible risk because of the importance of doing what they're doing to protect the people back home. Christians have to be willing to leave the comfort of this awesome community that we spend time building in order to make room for others, just as the people before us did that so that there was room for us. It's a very interesting and difficult dynamic that we see played out right here in this passage. 
He says, in 18, we wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It's you. You're our treasure. You're our crown. You are the reward that we expect to receive. Being able to connect with you, spend time with you, build relationships with you, and through all eternity, the thing that we value more than anything else and the reason that we do this work is so that we can have an eternity to build in. He says, you are our reward. Yes, you are our pride and our joy. And it struck me as I was reading this this week, the value that he's putting on in-person relating. He's saying, I wanted to come to you. I had to write you this letter. I mean, the letter's better than nothing, but I've been wanting to see you in person because of the value of the in-person connection that I want to have with you. Now, I know in this room I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> but I'm also talking to the people at home. You know, the Zoom thing is, is, is like a letter. It's better than nothing. But there's no substitute for personal relationship, for sharing the same space, for expressing physical affection, hugs, and just grabbing an arm and shaking a hand and smiling and connecting, real relating. We're so hungry for this. And we have put that on hold, rightfully so. Because there are other priorities to worry about. But, you know, a letter is a lot like Zoom or texting. You know, yes, you might get to see someone's face. You might get to hear their voice. But we all know it's not the same. It's not the same. And it's, it's, it's not possible to be as connected with each other through a screen or a handwritten letter. And one of the things I think we really need to think about is what's going to happen post-COVID. There will come a time where this thing is not a threat and it's put to bed. And what are we going to do? Are we going to all, I've talked to a bunch of people that are like, oh man, I'm going to be out every night of the week seeing everyone I love every day, all the time. And I'm, I don't care. I have learned the value of being connected with people and I'm going to go out and just be, I just can't wait to be with everyone. And it's like, cool. That might, that might wear thin after a while, but cool, right? And then there are other people that are like, oh, this has been kind of awesome. I love my me time. And I feel like I've recaptured time. And I don't know if I ever want to go back to the way that it was. I might just Zoom as long as I can, it just, you know, there's concerns and there's, and getting in the car, driving. Listen, we need this. Why are we here wearing masks, sitting six feet apart with air filters around the room? Why are we doing this? Because it's better than Zoom. There's, there's value to it. And we have to remember that. And we have to be ready, not only ourselves, to re-engage when the time is appropriate, but to help others remember the importance. 
I was talking to a brother here six or seven weeks ago, and he was like, you know, I was skeptical about coming back to CT. He was like, I was sort of like, you know, the YouTube thing is fine. And he was like, but then I came because, you know, you asked me to, and I tried it, and I was just like, I couldn't believe the hole that I saw that was in my life. That getting together and, and, and sharing and seeing people and hearing the word, that that was something I didn't understand how much I was missing until I got it back. And we're gonna need to be prayerful and patient. We need people to take precautions and to not feel pressured or judged or under the law, but we need to help remind them of the spark and the greatness of in-person relating. This is why Paul says to them, I kept trying and trying to come to you, but I couldn't, so I wrote a letter. But know that I'm, I'm planning on coming. I wanna be there. He's talking about how people are the treasure that we can take with us. The Bible tells us that nothing of the material world will remain. Revelations 21, one through seven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. This is the end times. This is the end of history. God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting in the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Nothing that is will remain. All things will be made anew. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he says, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. This message is so important because it stands in stark contrast to the lies of the world system that we are exposed to every day and that we succumb to in one degree or another all the time. We're told money will make you happy. We're told prestige will make you important. Popularity will fulfill you. Power will make you feel valuable and sex will meet your needs over and over and over again, constantly inundated with this, and we're miserable. We are sad and we are broken unless we put God and people at the center of the efforts of our lives. Relationships are what matters. I think we've all had enough me time. You know who knew this the best was King Solomon. Solomon was the richest, most powerful, most successful king in Israel's history. He had everything that anyone could ever want, and he had 10 of them. Read what he says in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. He said, I said to myself, come, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. 
And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. And this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks and filled them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I, brought, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks and more than any of the kings who had ever lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had, a, I had everything a man could desire, so I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything, I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. He just peels back the disguise of the world system and says, I have tried it all. And none of it gave me any lasting sense of significance, purpose, joy, or fulfillment. It was chasing the wind. It was useless. That's pretty hard for a lot of us to believe. But you have to ask yourself, as you're admiring those wealthy people with all the success and all the toys and all the prestige and all the power, how happy are they? How fulfilled are they? How good are their marriages? How good are their relationships with their kids? How much of a connection are they able to make? How much of a difference are they able to make? And when God comes and makes all things new, when he takes all matter and transforms it into something else, what will be left of what they've worked for and accumulated? You see, what Paul is saying is the only thing that's left is people. People are the only thing that you can invest in and enjoy for all of eternity. God and his people. That is it. That's the only thing. You want to lay up your treasure in heaven, as Jesus said. That is investing in people and in relationships. So he says, finally, when I could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens. I just couldn't take not knowing what was going on with you guys. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's coworker, proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith and keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why I could bear it no longer. I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that your work had been useless. He hadn't heard from them. He hadn't connected with them. He was like, man, I love those guys so much. We had such incredible fellowship and connection. What if, what if the church has collapsed and everybody's living for the world again? 
What if they've bought into the lies and they've been lulled to sleep from this awesome thing that we had? I must send Timothy to find out. But now Timothy has just come back. He's returned and he's brought us the good news of your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. You can see Paul just sitting there waiting for Timothy to come back. And he looks at his face and he's like, is there anything left? And he's like, oh yeah. It's just as good. It's even better. They're so excited for Jesus Christ. They're so in love with God. They're so connected with each other. And they're so reaching out to the city of Thessalonica. And they cannot wait to see you again, Paul. And he just sits down and he writes this letter. I just am so relieved that you are flourishing. You are our reward. You are our treasure. And I just can't wait to come and see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and our suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. The third point being both serving and being served. Mature Christian love is able to help and willing to help others in their time of need, wanting to be a source of encouragement, but they're also willing to let others do things for them, to be vulnerable. This isn't a hierarchical, I serve you and you make me feel good by the power that I wield. This is, I serve you and I allow you to serve me. He was a source of strength and encouragement to them but they were a source of strength and motivation for him. He was like, I've been kind of down. It's been kind of tough here in Athens. These philosophical types do not like the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've been sad and I've been discouraged, but to hear about your continued faith and love for Christ gives me strength and gives me power. Your love for me helps me do this work. Mature love is eager to meet the needs of others, but humble enough and honest enough to express their own need as well to those they are serving. He says in verse eight, it gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again, to fill the gaps in your faith. May God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, bring us to you very soon. Mature relating is both prayerful and it's content-centered. He says, we pray for you every day and we can't wait to fill in the gaps of your knowledge. Praying with others keeps us close, even when we're far away, even when we're disconnected, even when we're quarantined. We can pray for our neighbors. We can pray for people in our own household. We can pray for people on the other side of the world and create a connection with them through our relationship with God. We can affect real change in people's lives on the other side of the world because God is just as much there as he is here. You know, if you wanna try something, this is something I've definitely tried and 
I found it to be very true. Try to continue being bitter towards someone and also praying for their good fortune. It's a great trick because what happens is, is you want God to answer your prayers and you want your prayers to be successful. So you pray, God, help this person. And don't pray something bitter like, help them be more mature. <laughs> help them to flourish. Help them to get a better job. Help them to, to have a good marriage. And you can't help but start rooting for that person when you're praying for them. Praying for one another is a powerful way of relating and loving one another that binds us together unlike any other thing. But then also when we come together, we should spend time together reading, studying, discussing, talking about real deep things of God. That our relationship should not just be the surfacey gloss of the things that everybody talk about, but we need to be really connected with each other. News, sports, weather, they have a place, but it should be a small place. Get into the word. Get into a good conversation. Brother, what's God doing in your life these days? What are you studying? What are you learning? What can you teach me? How is God answering your prayers? You talk about things like that, you will get close with people. You add praying for them on top of that, and you start talking to, I want to know if my prayers have been answered, so I want to start asking you questions. It's unlike any other relationship that you can have because it's a God-centered relationship. And this should not only be for our friends, this should be for our spouses and for our children, praying for them, praying with them, and connecting and discussing and, and talking about meaningful things builds us a bulwark of strength in your family. That's so needed and so important. Finally, he says, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. Isn't that interesting? It's another one of those dichotomies. A tight-knit group welcomes new people. How does that work? You know, we are familiar with cliques. We build something and we protect it and we let other people know, this is not for you. This is special and it's for us and you're on the outside. And he says, be inward facing, be invested in each other, be deep with each other, and be outward facing at the same time. Inviting others to participate and enhance what's already incredible, making new space for new people, even if we have to separate for a time. He finishes and says, may he, may he meaning Jesus, as a result, make your heart strong and blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again with all his holy people. Amen. Mature Christian love has Jesus Christ at the center of it. It's connected with him. He is an inextricable part of what it is that we do. You cannot do this without him. That's the reality. That's why so few people have it. 
and it's what we all long for. Real spiritual relationships have this power because together we realize we are fallen, broken people who are capable of great wickedness, selfishness, and evil. But by the grace of God, we've been forgiven and we've been knit together in the family of God. And we cannot be inward facing and outward facing without God's help. Solomon talked about this too. This passage is often read in weddings, but it's intended to be relationships in general. He says in Ecclesiastes verse four, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone without child or brother, yet who works hard to gain much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Mature Christian love is deeply engaged but willing to let go. It's valuing and it's prioritizing in-person relating. It's serving and it's willing to be served. It's prayerful, but it's also content-centered. It's inward and it's outward-focused. And none of it is possible without Jesus Christ at the heart. In John 1, he says, All who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. If this is something you hunger for, relationships, being a part of something that's dynamic, that's creative, that's deep, that's real. It's also human. You'll also get hurt. People will fail you. You'll have to experience letting people in and having them let you down. But you'll also experience the dynamic power of relating to people, of connecting to people the way that God created us. And you'll find true fulfillment and true purpose in the community of God. Thank you, God, that this is real, that we've experienced this, that we've had the dynamics of what's talked about here. We've experienced real relationships with others. We've been vulnerable. And we're probably a little soft on this. We've probably, as we've been cloistered and tucked away and put in a corner, we've probably gotten a little more hardened and a little weird. And uh, it's a little more difficult to imagine how to re-engage with people. I feel like an athlete in the off-season relationally. Uh, we've got to get back into, into our routine. Uh, and we just ask that you'll help us do that. And we also anticipate, God, that there's going to be a whole lot of need out there, a whole lot of people that are right now really recognizing the value of community and relationships and who might be thinking when the pandemic's over, they'll have nowhere to go. And I pray that you'll bring those people into our lives, that you'll help us find them and be bold with them and show them the great treasure that you've given us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been a Dwell Community Church production.